Chapter One of Ronald and I, or Studies from Life, by Alfred Praetor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One Broadwater, a Shadow from the Past. One turn your steps westward and about four miles beyond bayview you will come to a rising ground where three ways meet one the road to the right tends northward following with occasional deviations the coast line of dead man's bay a replica in miniature of the bay of biscay and one which claims almost as regularly its tithe of life and wreckage the path on the left hand enters a lodge gate and begins to fall gently but without intermission towards the sea a curious impression that you are reaching the end of all things is followed by the feeling that your next step will be planted in the sea and then you come to broadwater the huge square-set building stands on a level plateau guarded by a semicircle of hills from every wind that blows excepting the southwest the architecture is neither impressive in itself nor characteristic of any particular period yet looking down upon it from the hills above the eye will find ample satisfaction in the colouring of the roof for lichens have painted the crumbling tiles with every conceivable hue of vermilion and gold a stranger journeying for the first time along the road would complain of the lack of trees and trees in the open there are none nothing less cringing than gorse and heather can show front against the brine-laden winds of the atlantic the southwest wind is jealous of its prerogatives and denudes a neighborhood of isolated growth almost as surely as does the poison-steeped atmosphere of the midlands yet if you trouble to make nearer acquaintance with broadwater you will find that every ravine and gully is crowded with trees groves the villagers call them whose tops lie level with the ground on either side so that a slight divergence from the recognized track might land the unwary traveller among their foliage almost without a change in his plane of elevation the grand old house stands as i have said on a plateau protected from the north and east by the hills down which the road winds in and out like a white ribbon on the west it faces the atlantic and the lawn merging in the park falls rapidly seawards till it meets the natural barrier of the beach as a rule the barrier stands well yet times there are when the sea will no longer harrow the valleys or be bound with a band in the furrow but laughing at the puny obstruction lays its tribute of drift and wreckage and human life almost on the very doorstep of the house whether you love the scene or not will depend on your age and temperament and something too on the circumstances under which you view it steeped in the quiet twilight of an autumn evening its perfect stillness and repose appeal irresistibly to a heart that yearns for rest and many such have coveted it but let a londoner come upon it when a furious southwester is raging and the double windows are veiled with an impermeable film of brine and you can feel the chimneys rocking overhead and the chances are he will hurry from it as from the abomination of desolation after our uncle's death ronald it was well known was to reign in his stead supplanting myself albeit the son of an elder brother and the natural heir 
but my father had been unlucky enough to marry the woman of old hayward's choice and the sin of the father was to be visited upon the son our uncle uh, to do him justice never made a pretence of equity in the matter i should turn in my grave he said if i thought that son of his was to follow in my room and there the matter ended short of this he was fond of me in his own undemonstrative way only lately he had settled me at bayview with a handsome allowance where i was to make acquaintance with the rudiments of the law till it was time for me to enter at cambridge honestly i can say that i never grudged ronald his inheritance he and i were brothers rather than cousins and i cannot remember the time when the sturdy little viking was not dear to my heart perhaps it was i who gave the most and he who took it but that is only as it should be provided he who gives and he who takes are equally nothing loath the house was an ideal home for us so long as we shared it in common when we were separated it became unutterably dull for the one who was left companionless ghosts it must have had in plenty there certainly was an impluvium which in these days is rarer than a ghost i mean that the whole centre of the house was open to the winds of heaven for the purpose of collecting the rain-water which fell into a huge reservoir in the basement the ghosts if any never showed themselves frightened in all probability by the antagonism of ronald's temperament but we discovered what was next best to the real article the equipments and paraphernalia of one in a disused coach-house we came one day on an old travelling carriage of the fashion in use sixty years ago when paterfamilias took himself and his family for a progress round the country rumble it did and imperial and a chest of most unearthly pattern accommodated to the space under the back seat but the glass was broken in the frames and the hangings were mouldy the very woodwork was so worm-eaten that at a touch you would expect it to crumble into dust like one of the pharaohs when he is disencumbered of his trappings it was painted or rather had been painted a sable black but the colour had deteriorated with time to the hue of rusty crepe our first impression suggested that it was some time-honoured memorial of the past the carriage it might be in which a bride and bridegroom had made their homecoming under auspices of exceptional promise but a second glance through the broken semicircular skylight told rather of intentional neglect or indifference the plaster of the coach-house where it still clung to the lathe had broken out into patches of mouldiness defiant of the first principles of cleanliness while an army of spiders who must have worked unmolested for years had tied the carriage to the walls and floor with a network of dirt-begrimed strands what on earth is it and why is it kept here asked ronald of the groom i shall get the uncle to have it broken up and burned it's only filling the space with moths and insects don't you do not do kind master ronald said the coachman lowering his voice to a whisper that carriage has been driven up to these very doors by old nick himself or one or other of his coachmen ay you may laugh but it's true enough and not so long ago either they'd forgotten had your aunt and uncle that it was here in the stable at all 
it must have been here years before they bought the place till he came and drove it round to the front door one night all mouldy and ramshackled just as you see it now do tell us frampton about it i'll promise not to laugh well twas the night before we were starting for the south of france and i was going with them to look after the horses they were to hire in paris the house had been full of visitors for christmas but most of them had gone the day before and the rest of them were to leave along with us it was in the middle of the night though they never noticed the true time when they heard both of them a carriage drive up to the front door they were fairly puzzled what it could mean as they expected no visitors least of all at that time of night your aunt got up first and then called your uncle and there full in the moonlight stood that identical carriage and the coachman was a skellington dressed in black and weepers for all the world like an undertaker at a funeral he turned his eyes or what should have been his eyes full upon them both and then your aunt went faint and i believe your uncle did no better anyhow when they came back to their senses carriage and coachman were gone and what did it mean frampton well that's more than i can tell you master ronald it's fairly puzzled all of us i'm sure i've bothered my head at times over to try and piece it together seeing it meant no harm to them but only to a lot of folk they'd never seen or heard of how did that come about when we got to paris we put up at one of them big hotels i forget the name of it and one day he and she were going up to their rooms in the lift just as they were stepping aboard of it they looked chanceways at the man who managed it and i'm blessed if it wasn't the same coachman as had driven that their carriage up to the door at broadwater they were that frightened that they stepped back and the lift went up without them and well it was they did so for something or other went wrong with the hauling gear and every soul on board of it was killed and now you know master ronald why your uncle won't have that carriage never touched he's got it into his head and you won't get it out again that it was sent to save his life all i can say is that if that's what it did mean old nick carries on his business in a queer roundabout kind of way two not many days after frampton had imparted to us his sensational story we were told to expect a visit from the family lawyer ronald and i always hailed his visits with delight he was one of those cheery individuals whom boys can chum with in age he must have been nearly seventy-five but hale and hearty still entering into our amusements never minding our noise and tipping us when he left with a liberality that appalled our uncle ronald and i would have put him down for fifty but boys do not recognize the gradations of age to them a man seems definitely old at fifty and to live as long as he may after that years will add nothing to the mystery of his age if only he keeps young in heart and interests at sixty seventy or even eighty he will in their eyes be fifty still as a matter of course ronald and i were told to put in an appearance on the day of his arrival the unvarying order of the program was that after he had had a few words with our uncle we too should form his escort in a progress round the park and outlying farms so your uncle still cherishes the old crofton coach he said as we passed the outhouse tenanted by the family ghost i wonder he cares to keep it 
almost ronald's own words to frampton the coachman from which it was clear he had never heard of our uncle's visitant nor did we venture to enlighten him uh, do you know anything about it sir asked ronald in the eager tone of one who had by no means lost hope of solving the mystery my boy i've ridden in it ronald's face was a study ridden in it actually ridden in that coach and did you sir did you see the devil he continued anxiously frampton says he always drives it not exactly ronald and by the way my lad i wouldn't if i were you introduce his name quite so familiarly into your conversation frampton must be cautioned fred as to what he tells the boy well he didn't exactly say that sir continued ronald willing to justify his friend he called him old nick that's a trifle better anyhow i didn't see him though i can't say honestly that my ride was a pleasant one i had been staying here with old crofton just before he sold the place to your uncle and i had business too to transact with thorpe of thorpe hill as luck would have it all the carriages here were in use but this one it wasn't in the state it is now but it was out of date and uncomfortable even then however it took me there all right it was on the way back that i had my adventure i had barely composed myself to sleep with the consciousness of having dined too well thorpe never stinted his guests when i was roused by an uneasy feeling that i was not the sole occupant of the carriage the interior was lit up by a weird fantastic light that came and went rose and fell like the glow that throbs over a brick kiln or a blast furnace after all it may have been only the reflection of my own cigar which i had instinctively kept alight during my short nap from out the borderland which separates sleep from waking i saw two figures on the opposite seat for a time i studied them with hardly more interest than i should the figures in a pantomime till it was forced upon me by their wild gesticulation that this was no pantomime enacting for my benefit but a veritable tragedy of life and death the one figure shrank cowering in a corner of the carriage the other stood over it with uplifted hand but no voice or sound proceeded from them only on the hand of one the figure that crouched and trembled i recognized the famous thorpe emerald as the family lawyer i knew it well while the other that stormed and threatened might have passed for old crofton himself in so far as youth of twenty can anticipate the form and lineaments of seventy-five the details had hardly had time to shape themselves within my brain when the light died out i heard or fancied i heard a short sharp gasp an inarticulate cry for mercy and the carriage drew up before the gate of broadwater that night after dinner we were subjected to a close cross-examination by our uncle the boys have told me your surprising story mr roberts may i ask how it is that i never heard it from you before why to tell you that truth mr hayward you wouldn't have heard it now if my little friend ronald hadn't rushed me into telling it by his burst of eagerness you might have said i've been dining too well as indeed i had and that wasn't exactly the thing to recommend a family lawyer so you've got my reputation at your mercy young gentleman for of course it was the dinner a nightmare of some kind no doubt 
though i'm bound to say i never had a nightmare either before or afterwards that was half so vivid and real it was quite the worst quarter of an hour i ever passed in my life perhaps not so much of a nightmare as you suppose rejoined the uncle and then proceeded to narrate his own experiences i remember thinking how much better frampton told the story than he did in spite of his rather unorthodox language Phew! that alters the whole question cooperative evidence with a vengeance evidence that one might almost take into court for even if you had been dining not wisely your sister hadn't i know anyhow we three staid gentlefolk could create a pretty sensation with our three independent testimonies to think that a belief in ghosts should be forced upon me at my age why i shall be dragged next into believing the village legend what is it i never even heard of it that ronald's old carriage is somehow mixed up with the quarrel between thorpe and broadwater that it stands in the way of their family union so you see young gentlemen where you've got to look for a wife as soon as the carriage is gone but it doesn't look like it yet old thorpe's dead and the house shut up and the only survivor of the family is on the point they tell me of marrying her cousin above all you guard the old carriage hayward as if it were a priceless heirloom but perhaps you are right it isn't your business to get rid of it three so the old carriage mouldered on in the coach-house and its network of cobwebs grew grimier each day how the spiders maintained themselves was a mystery for no fly could have run the blockade of the window even if the inducement had been greater at last ronald and i wove a legend around them in our turn which terrified us more than did the carriage itself we decided that after long years of mutual slaughter the victory had rested in the end with two or three hoary monsters who had ensconced themselves within the framework of the ruined carriage from which they looked out upon the solitude they were creating little by little the uncanny idea grew upon us till regardless of all probability we fancied we could see their eyes peering out of the darkness more than once we made illicit expeditions at midnight in the hope that we might find the ghostly coachman cleaning and repairing his equipage for another sortie but we could see nothing if either of us had gone alone the result might have been different we should have seen or pretended to see many matters of interest november was as a rule our month of storms at broadwater though february often ran it close and in the year that followed upon frampton's story a gale broke upon us on the third of the month that beat the record of our times for violence we had not been without warning of its coming the sea had been crying out at intervals sure token that the storm had paused to gather breath bidding the sea take forward its message to the shore not when the gale is at its height at any rate along our coast can you best realize the grandeur of the sea study it rather on one of these quiet days of warning when you can trace a wave almost from its inception till it curls over at your feet with a dull roar regular as the boom of a minute gun and audible for miles inland lashed into foam and its voice drowned by the wind it parts with much of its majesty and becomes merely a symbol of turmoil and unrest 
what it gains in wildness it loses in self-control like the seething rapids of niagara before they compose themselves into dignity prior to the final plunge then came another and a final warning it was one of those rare sunsets which leave an imprint on the memory for life not a sunset in which conflicting colors are fused into each other by soft and subtle gradations these we see often and soon forget but one of war and discord when colors the most antagonistic meet without blending and produce effects that would be called crude and coarse upon a painter's canvas on a background of unvarying crimson black and purple clouds were projected clean cut in outline and solid to all appearance as the hull of an atlantic liner that was cleaving her way across the sea beneath them the sea itself borrowed its colors from the sky but jealousy guarded them from encroaching on the beach beyond which shone white as silver in the unnatural glow beyond it still the valleys and hills that rose behind broadwater were painted a dark and luminous green on which a few scattered homesteads stood out in clear and startling relief for the moment distance was annihilated and a step or two or so it seemed might have compassed the mile of space that separated us from our own house door a sunset like this following upon a crying sea can never be misread by the dwellers on our coast it warns every fisherman that he must haul his larret to the very summit of the ridge and every coastguard station along the dreaded bay that it behooves them to be awake and watching but it was not till midnight that the storm broke upon us our faith in the old house was strong it had outlived so many storms and the gale of twenty-four must have been worse than this or so we kept saying for mutual encouragement but it was hard to believe it and the comfort was quickly followed by a disquieting thought that each year as it passed left the chimneys older and less capable of resisting the pressure we were disquieted too for others we knew well by experience what a night like this might bring us from the sea times upon times in similar gales we had been hurried to the beach by signals of distress and had helped the coast guard sometimes in saving life oftener in furthering that painful recall to life which is more agonizing to witness than death itself happily there came to-night no appealing cry even if it had pierced its way through wind and rain those whom it summoned could only have watched and waited for one of those strange freaks by which the sea now and again elects to spare a human life at the height of the gale when gust upon gust followed each other with ever-increasing fury we were still seated in the drawing-room under various pretenses ronald and i said openly that we were afraid of venturing our lives in the upper rooms just under the chimneys our uncle jeered at our cowardice but stayed where he was the noise would prevent my sleeping he said but as for danger i'd as lief sleep in the garrets as anywhere only the servants beds ain't as comfortable as my own the old house'll last our time yet as if in answer to his boast the gale made another defiant howl 
it was answered by a dull crash followed by a continuous roar of falling materials followed again by a dead silence that was audible above the rush of wind and rain it took us only a few minutes to satisfy ourselves that the fabric of the house was safe it was a chimney stable words that had gone crashing through a hayloft and lumber room right down on the top of our ghostly carriage and clearing broad water of spiders for the period of our lives even the uncle himself could find no plea for extending his protection to a mass of shivered fragments if the powers of darkness had destroyed their own handiwork or failed in ability to protect it there was no reason to suppose that the hand of man would be more successful so the fiat went forth not i believe without great searching of heart on the part of our uncle and carriage and cobwebs and even the stable itself were swept away and as bunyan says i saw them no more well i'm glad that it's gone said a quiet sweet voice at my elbow as ronald and i were watching the departure of the last load of materials and turning i saw before me the woman who was to be the guiding star of ronald's life yes and my own life too she was little more than a girl then only a few years older than ronald himself with a great calm truthfulness in her eyes and the air of one who had already known sorrow and been refined not hardened by the experience yes she repeated i am glad it's gone and now we can be friends it has been so lonely for me at thorpe ever since my father died and i have so wanted to make friends with you only that old carriage stood in the way it was silly no doubt to be so much afraid but then i am scotch and the scotch you know are very superstitious she added with a smile besides ever since i can remember anything i've been told that the old carriage meant mischief and trouble between thorpe and broadwater it is true no doubt that an ancestor of mine did die in it and that all sorts of ghastly rumours were current as to how he met his death but nothing ever came of them and it was commonly assumed that he died of heart disease he had certainly been ailing for years before thank heaven the very scene of the crime if such it were has been swept away at last and it is pleasant isn't it to recommence our life's friendship here where it was wrecked though i fear we shan't meet often as yet for my husband that is to be lives abroad till i can persuade him to give up his post and settle down with me for good in the dear old home but you will be my friends won't you for always she held out her hand in pledge of her friendship and we shall be friends i think for always i like the old-fashioned phrase besides it was her own End of chapter 1